you're a staff member at Wellspring, you're especially grateful that construction in the well is done. <laughs> For the last two years, we have been working in conditions with constant banging, incredible smells, paint, glues, all sorts of stuff. We've been up at night, all of that, so we're, we're grateful. And the, uh, I don't know if some of you remember when our bishop was here to consecrate this place for the glory of God, and uh, it wasn't just this sanctuary that that was about. It was this entire place, the downstairs and the well, and so no less significant than this space that we're in uh, right now. So praise Jesus for that. My name is David. I'm glad to be here with you today. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And uh, we've been going through the book of 1 John together. And uh, for our purposes today, if, if you're able to follow along in the text, I think it would be really helpful on a Bible or a device. Uh, and John's church is facing a problem. And let's see if we can relate in the 21st century in America. People are leaving the church to go after more attractive worldviews and philosophies. <laughs> People are leaving the church, and we don't have like a mass exodus at Wellspring that I know of, but think more broadly than that. People are leaving the church to go after more attractive worldviews that come along with more attractive lifestyles. If you're 18 to 30 in this room, and especially if you grew up in the church, you're, you probably live at this intersection, unfortunately, sadly. Um, I, I lived in this intersection and still do to some extent, but it was especially potent when I was a student uh, at a Christian university in the school of religion. <laughs> so uh, I, I studied with a guy and uh, he and I started our, our studies together. He led a morning prayer student group um, and we took a lot of classes together. In fact, the last class that we took together was an Old Testament theology course. And his thesis for that course, his the, kind of the summative assignment that he turned in and submitted and presented to the class, was how messianic passages of the Old Testament do not refer to Jesus. Not only that, but when we started our program together, this guy, I'm sorry, it's emotional, had an ichthus tattoo on his shoulder. It's the fish symbol of Jesus, which is one of the earliest symbols of Christianity, and it stands for Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. And in, during that same class, uh, in that same time period, for that tattoo, he got a cover-up, which is a cheap way to cover up a tattoo. Instead of trying to get it removed, you just fill it in with black ink. Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior, covered in darkness. His last name was M, mine is N. We graduated together. He walked across the aisle, got a degree in religion from a Christian university. Then I got mine. And it, our lives look really different. People are leaving John's church to go after more attractive worldviews and lifestyles. And we know that, yeah? Sadly, um, it's, it's too familiar uh, to us and John is a fierce defender of his flock. We get the sense that his church is actually feeling this, this pull. You know, when this happens, I think I find myself not only deeply saddened, but also confused. There are times when I just, I'm tempted to think to myself, like, am I crazy? <laughs> like, is this Jesus stuff, following him, honoring God, 
really the stuff or am I just like drinking the Kool-Aid? In the way that John cries out to his little flock, abide in him, don't be deceived, don't walk away. We get the sense that they've, they've known this and experienced it too. And if I might, just try in a, a three words, one's a contraction, so three and a half, I don't know. <laughs> Summarize what we've heard John say to his church so far. This is what he's saying to them. You're not crazy. You're not crazy. And then with this this heretical group in mind, he says, here's what's crazy. Claiming to have fellowship with God while you walk in darkness. That's crazy. Here's what's crazy. Claiming to know God, but not doing what he commands. That's crazy. Claiming to love God while you love the world. That's crazy. John says, and we get to our passage today, John's going to say, this is crazy, claiming to be a child of God while you live in sin. You're like, wait a minute, I didn't (laughs) hear that read earlier. You heard the first part of our passage, uh, but John goes on in verse 7 of chapter 3, he says, dear children, don't let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he, Jesus, is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue in sin, because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning. Because they have been born of God. Now, in terms of an emotional response to what we're hearing right now, I can see two primary. One of defensiveness or despair. Defensiveness, which is rooted in fear, desiring to self-justify. And we get to a text like this and we think, it can't mean that. (laughs) Probably not a good way to approach the biblical text, just things that don't sit well with us or don't seem right, we just defend and ignore. Despair. I think there are some who their, their relationship with God, your relationship with God is marked by a pretty deep fear that gives birth to an insecurity. And you're, you're, you see yourself as you're just like, yeah, I'm on the fringe. Like, I know this is what they say about people who are, who are in Christ, and I think I'm in Christ, but I'm just waiting for a moment to be invalidated. Like I'm out. I'm an invalid child. Hang on. <laughs> for both groups, those that are, feel defensive, those that might feel despair, hang on. We're going to get there. And we have to keep the context in mind, okay? John has in view this heretical group, the Gnostics. They had this elevated view of knowledge, the secret knowledge that you could attain in the material world, which by implication means the stuff that you do is way down below. Some of them believed that was so low that they, they, had, been, they had reached such a knowledge that it was impossible for them to sin anymore. And John addresses that in the first chapter. If we claim that we haven't sinned, we are liars and the truth is not in us. Do you hear him addressing that first group in this heretical sect. Then there's another group 
They have, there's such a chasm between the intellectual, the spiritual, and the material that sin is just dismissed. It's totally irrelevant. It doesn't matter what we do. It just matters what we know, the religious experiences that we've had. So that's the group that John has in mind as he's writing to his church. He's not scolding his church in this letter. He's saying, this is crazy, claiming to be a child of God while you remain meno, abide in sin, live in sin, walk in sin. Don't buy it, John says, that's crazy. John sometimes feels like he's rambling in this letter and uh, through this passage, you know, he'll be talking about this over here and then he comes over here, like back over there. He's, John's probably an old man at this point, but I don't think that's what's going on here. He's, it's a style, but to our ear in the modern world, in the kind of Western world, it, it's a little bit hard to grab. And so I want to give you up front kind of two propositions or two statements or, or, or re- logic, uh, uh, two ways of reasoning through this that John appeals to as he commands or encourages, it's not a commandment, but it's, a, it's an encouragement to his flock to remain in Jesus. Here's the first one. If we are children of God, and if God is righteous, fair assumption, we will be righteous. If we're children of God, we will bear the family resemblance. What is that resemblance? It's righteousness. We're gonna see that in the text. Do you agree with the proposition? Does it make sense? Second proposition, if we are saved by Jesus and the reason Jesus came was to take away our sin, we will no longer live in sin. Does it make sense? It's it's hard to receive, but it might not be terribly difficult to understand. Let's unpack this, okay? This is what we're gonna see as we go through. Now, dear children, verse 28 of chapter two, remain, continue, abide in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. First proposition, if we know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. You see it? It's not just how we think, it's what we do. Everyone who does what is right has been born of him. It's, it's just, it's, it's, it's an obvious evaluation, right? How do you know that you have a good car? I'm not talking about bells and whistles, but a good car. It gets you from A to B, right? It doesn't break down all the time. How do you know that you have a good football team? You don't live in Denver, Colorado. <laughs> ah! Right? You can say, we're a good team. We're a good team. We just got to play better. We just got to be better. If your record is two and four... You're not a good team. <laughs> oh, no. Amen. <laughs> it's like a Raiders fan back there or something. Uh, Jesus says it this way. You know a tree by its fruit. Yeah? So my neighbor has two trees in, uh, in his backyard. And I bet you everybody in, in here could guess what both of those trees are. If I give you one clue, our kids would get this. Ready? They both produce peaches. What kind of trees are in my neighbor's backyard? Peach trees. You smell them before you see them. It's beautiful. Now, there's an important distinction to make here. Those are evaluations, right? We see the fruit of something, of a tree. It's a peach. We say we can evaluate this is a peach tree. What determines what kind of a tree that will be? The seed you bury in the ground. 
Hang on to that, okay? We're gonna keep reading. John, at the mention of being born of God at the end of chapter two, launches into an old man praise break. Like, he's like, see what great love the Father has lavished on us. Like, John is a pastor and a teacher and a theologian, but over and above all of that, he's a worshiper. See what great love the Father has given to us. I think this is hard to, to capture the emphatic nature of this, but one translation puts it like this. Look with wonder at the depth of the Father's marvelous love that's been lavished on us. He has called us and made us his very own children, and that is what we are. The reason the world doesn't know us is that it didn't know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. What we will be has not yet made known, but when we, we know that when Christ appears, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Advent's just a couple weeks away. All who have this hope in him purify themselves as he is pure. Now there's a contrast in this passage to being a child of God. We keep reading in verse four. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, Sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared, that he might take away our sin. In him is no sin. Do you see the second proposition? The reason Jesus came was to take away our sin. No one who lives in him, who abides in him, keeps on sinning. The one who continues, remains in sin, has neither seen him nor known him. Dear children, don't let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil. That's kind of hard to say, honestly. Sin is lawlessness. This doesn't just refer to a violation of one of God's commandments. This word lawlessness is a demonically inspired resistance to everything of God. It is opposition to God. It is resisting God at all costs and finding yourself against God and against God's kingdom. Sin is lawlessness. That's the, 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 the fruit of sin reveals a seed of lawlessness. But Jesus came to take away our sin. Or verse nine says it in this way, the reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's works. Do you again see the logic of John? If Jesus came to take away sin, if Jesus came to destroy that lawless bent in the life of those who are God's children, there should be the fruit of righteousness. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. Scholars debate what this seed is. Is it the word of God? I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Is it just referring to being one of God's children? Is it referring to the Holy Spirit? know the way that we can definitively know, but I would say, yes, uh-huh, absolutely, all of it. Specifically, the seed of the Holy Spirit. So when the seed of the Spirit is planted in the sons and daughters of God, 
That's actually what makes us the sons and daughters of God. We have received the seed of the Holy Spirit. We will produce the fruit of righteousness. Does that make sense? The difference between the evaluation, oh, this is a peach, this is a peach tree, to the seed. This is righteousness. The seed of the Holy Spirit is the thing that is inside the people of God that is going to continue to flourish and bear fruit in the abundant life that Jesus came to bring. There will be pruning, yeah? There will be times when, man, that, the fruit didn't come in so good this year. <laughs> but the life, the seed inside is gonna continue to push out all of that gunk. And as those branches are, are chopped off and cast aside, for what purpose is that? To bring greater life, yeah? By the way, once you put a seed in the ground and it is now a tree, you can't go in and take that seed out and change it to be something else. Hallelujah, amen? amen. Do you understand? Do you see what John is saying to his church? The life of those who are in Christ, those who have received the seed of the Holy Spirit, those who are the children of God, those who have been saved and rescued by Jesus will produce the fruit of righteousness. Listen, sin in the life of the Christian is not the first thing that's inevitable. The first thing that's inevitable in the life of a Christian is righteousness. He's called it to us. He's called us to it. And he's not just given us the baton and said, hey, I saved you, you take it from here. We have the seed of the Holy Spirit that continues to bring the life of Jesus into this world, into our families, into our schools. Amen? Now, this passage, this kind of passage, prompts us to examine, yeah? To examine ourselves. There's two seeds, there's two fruits, and there's two fathers. The seed of the Holy Spirit, the seed of lawlessness, which gives birth to the fruit of righteousness or the fruit of sin, which reveals that we are children of God or children who are in opposition to God. The devil has been sinning from the beginning in contrast to Jesus who is the word in the beginning. For those who have received the seed of the Holy Spirit, our evaluation today is, is there a branch that's just way off? Is there a dead branch? Is there an over, well, I guess you couldn't have an overgrown branch. <laughs> Be a lot of righteousness fruit. <laughs> we come to Jesus for pruning, Yeah. Because, his, because of his love. The Lord disciplines those that he loves. We come to him that we might bear more fruit. I have to imagine if the, in a group this size and with two services at a church like this, there, there might be some today who, as you consider this, you think, I actually think I have the seed of lawlessness. I am opposed to God. I am resistant to God at all costs. And it, it can be overt and it can be kind of sneaky and kind of subtle. 
here is the good news for you today. While the seed of the Holy Spirit is permanent, the seed of lawlessness is not. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil and to make us his children. He desires that. He longs for that. Jesus has disarmed the powers today. They're disarmed. That's how Paul writes it. He has triumphed over them. And the seed of lawlessness can be replaced with the seed of the Holy Spirit. We can bring death to death so that the life of Jesus will be made manifest in our lives. Man, thank God you don't have to try and hack a tree down by yourself. (laughs) I've never tried. I think it's probably pretty hard. Normally you pay somebody to come do that. I don't know, at least in the suburbs. (laughs) Abide in him. There's two commands in this passage. Now little children, remain in him. Abide in him and don't be led astray. Come to him and say, gee, I want to be in you, Jesus. I want life, not death. I don't want lawlessness. I want a righteous, loving father. I'm here, you're here. I want to encourage a group, too, that uh, those who, who, who actually who desire righteousness, who, are, who want to be done with sin and live a life of righteousness. In this culture, it seems crazy. It's not crazy. If you desire to honor God with your life and produce the fruit of righteousness, you're not crazy. Pursue him. Confess your sin. In fact, St. Augustine says, the beginning of our righteousness is the confession of sins. When you have begun not to defend your sin, then you have started to be righteous. Don't defend. Don't plumb into despair. Come to the Lord who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. A good and loving Father. Nothing is hidden from his sight. Praise be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, I was undone in worship in that second song. Where there was sin, your love rushed. Where sin runs deep, your grace runs deeper. Amen. Amen.